Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen. I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. Whether you're an emerging or an established writer looking for practical tips to help you develop and sustain forward momentum, or you enjoy candid conversations with business professionals who share what it's really like to be a professional writer, you'll get that here on the Professional Writer Podcast. You'll find the show notes and a link to join our private Facebook community at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast. One of the women in my group coaching program, Jumpstart Your Email List, is starting a podcast in order to grow her author platform. And we both belong to a particular discussion group, and she did some crowdsourcing in that group and asked podcasters to post a link to their first ever episode so she could listen to several introductory episodes and get ideas for content to include in her first episode, which I think is a very good idea, by the way. So I went back into my archives and episode number one of the Professional Writer Podcast is titled, Do You Have to Write Books to Be a Real Writer? And I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes at bloggingbistro.com. In that first episode, I talk about the day that I met up with a group of fellow writers for lunch immediately following a writer's conference that we had all attended. Some of us knew each other slightly, but most of us were being introduced to one another for the first time. So we went around the table, we talked about the type of writing that we do. And when everyone had finished introducing themselves, one of the writers announced, everyone here writes, except Laura. If you listen to that episode, you'll hear my reaction to that pronouncement. And reflecting back on that conversation, I think this person intended to say, everyone here writes books, except Laura. And they would have been correct. I have written books, but you know, a funny thing happened to me during the book writing and publishing process. I rediscovered my first writing love, which is short form writing. In other words, article writing, blog post writing, writing that nets me a steady income of several thousand dollars per month, every month, year after year. And many writers that I meet, particularly writers who are working toward getting their first book published, have what I call the field of dreams mentality. If you build it, they will come. If you get your book published, throngs of people will magically appear and eagerly snap it up. And while that field of dreams occasionally does come true, most writers who write books do it more as a passion project or they do it as a way to build an audience, or as a means to supplement their income. A small percentage of authors do earn a full-time income through writing books. And that's why I decided to regularly feature writers who supplement their income through writing projects other than writing books, or in addition to writing books. And today I'm pleased to welcome my friend Tracy Heskett, who is what I call a real life writer who does a variety of projects to supplement her family's income. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Tracy and I met, I believe we met at the Oregon Christian Writers Conference a number of years ago. And you've been a director of their one day conferences in the past. Are you still doing that, Tracy? Yes, I've okay, been so- directing for four or five years, five years, maybe. 
So tell us a little bit about that, how Oregon Christian Writers is structured, just in case we have some listeners here who might be thinking of attending a really top-notch conference on the West Coast. Oregon Christian Writers this year has two one-day conferences. One was in February, and our next one-day conference will be in October. And those conferences are held on a Saturday from 8.30 to 4.30. We have keynote speaker. We have afternoon workshops. And in between times, there are opportunities to talk with other writers. We also have a summer conference, which is a three-day conference, three, three-and-a-half-day conference once a year that also has a keynote speaker. That conference offers more in-depth coaching classes as well as afternoon workshops. These conferences are held throughout Oregon in different locations in Oregon. Is that correct? Currently, the February conference is in Salem. The Mm -hmm. October conference is in Tualatin or Southwest Portland area. When you talk about meeting writers who are really generous with their time, Tracy is one of the most generous people that I have ever met. I remember a couple of years ago, I was teaching at the summer conference, Oregon Christian Writers Summer Conference, and I had some ideas in my head where I was planning to direct or thinking about directing some one-day conferences similar to what you do. And you sat down with me for over an hour and just let me pick your brain. I remember taking pages and pages of notes, and you were just so supportive, and I really appreciate that about you. That's where we've really got to know each other, I think, and launched our business friendship. Yes, I think so too. Well, let me tell you, friends, a little bit about Tracy. Tracy is a freelance author whose work for higher contracts include best-selling teacher resource books, fiction and nonfiction leveled readers. She also does ghostwriting. She conducts research for a nonprofit organization, and she writes Bible study materials. She has written more than 50 teacher resource books. She's written a textbook and other curriculum materials for national Christian and secular educational publishers. And you can find more about Tracy and connect with her at her website, tracyheskett.com. That's T-R-A-C-I-E-H-E-S-E. K-E-T-T dot com. And I'll put a link to Tracy's website in the show notes. So I have a couple of questions that I think my listener might be having right now, Tracy, is can you tell us exactly what teacher resource books are and a little bit about how you got started writing them? A teacher resource book is a book of activities, lesson plans for teachers to use in a classroom, similar to a textbook, but it's a little bit more informal and it will be on a specific topic. I got into writing those when I was still student teaching, working toward my credential, and I was looking through the resources in my master teacher's classroom. And she said, oh, just look through them. And then later in a practicum situation, a teacher handed me a binder and said, we need lessons on this, teach this material. So I wrote the lessons and taught them, and then I sent them to a publisher, and I said, I just finished practice teaching these, and the publisher said, this is a hot topic right now. We'll take it. It was a pretty short path. So you saw a need or somebody acquainted you with a need and you filled it just like that. Yes. Did you go on to become a teacher? You said you were doing this when you were preparing for your student teaching. Yes. I taught in the classroom then. And for a few years, I did both side by side, some writing and some teaching. And what were you teaching specifically? What grade level and what subject matter? I was teaching elementary grades two through four. Were these resource books in for elementary grade teachers? There's a couple first grade books in there 
and it goes up to middle school, grade six or seven. I have another question then in your bio, you talked about writing fiction and nonfiction leveled readers, L-E-V-E-L-E-D. And I assume that that's a book for children to read that is on different reading levels? Yes, they are either fiction stories or nonfiction books. And they're written at a specific level for a reader. You won't even find them on Amazon. They're packaged in a package of 100 books or, or whatever package the school district is purchasing. And they might be used in the classroom or they might be used in a reading resource room. I'm going to date myself here, Tracy. I remember when I was in first grade and onwards, we read what we called what were called the Dick, Jane, and Sally books. Do you remember those? I do remember those. I'm going to date myself as well and say, <laughs> I, li- I liken the leveled readers, I liken them to the SRA series. Oh, SRA. Yes, I remember SRA. Student reading achievement. <laughs> Those were the ones that came on the cards, right? And they had like different colors for your different levels that you progressed? Yes. The books I do are a little bit longer than a card. I was big into SRA as a student, as a child, because I was a a little bit competitive when it came to reading and learning, a bit of an overachiever, which I have admitted freely on this podcast many times. But I love trying to progress through those SRA lessons as quickly and efficiently as I could. So I was always at the top of the heap when it came to mastering those SRA things. Since January of 2019, you have kind of been out of the teacher resource book writing business and and not necessarily by choice there. So what happened that caused that industry to shift so that you're no longer creating teacher resource books? Toward the end of 2018, as I was finishing up a series of teacher resource books, I learned that the publisher I was working with wanted to do more digital materials and any print or teacher resource full-length materials that they were going to do, they were pulling in-house. And in fact, my last visit down there, I met someone who was changing his role to do apps, more and more apps and shorter pieces. So they just didn't have a role for me to write full-length teacher resource books. Fortunately, when that happened, I had already for several years, along with the teacher resource books, been taking on assignments from other educational publishers that were just assignments. And so I could focus on that a little bit more. That served as a good transition for me. Now what I'm doing is still those educational publishing assignments. And I've also done some other things as well. Some of the things that I've taken on have been ghostwriting assignments, I worked on three ghostwriting projects. Can you define for our listener who might not be really clear on what ghostwriting is, what exactly that means to you? For those assignments, I've received the transcript and some outline notes from another person who had presented the material verbally as a talk. Ah. They wanted to compile their material into a book. One project that was really fun I went from the organizing the book, table of contents, and pretty much writing the chapters, which is, that was really a fun project. Some of the other ones were not quite as in-depth. I hadn't really thought of that before in terms of ghostwriting, where you said that the person had a talk or uh, an oral presentation that they wanted turned into book form. That's all that that particular company was doing, was oral to written. 
a lot of the ghostwriting that I've done, Tracy, just to give our listener kind of a different take on that, is where a client will hire me on an ongoing basis, for example, month to month, every month of the year, year after year, to write articles from their voice. I have to get to know the client pretty well. And then I actually do all the research, the writing, the editing, the publishing, you know, take it basically from start to finish. And I'm not doing books, but I'm focusing on articles, but I am writing those from the voice of my client. My byline does not ever appear on any of these projects. Everybody who sees this writing thinks that my client wrote it and not me. So that's where the term ghost comes mm-hmm. from in the ghost writing is that, yes, you do get credit as in you get paid for creating these projects, but you don't necessarily own the copyright to them. You generally will grant that. It's like a work for hire type of assignment where you will grant the copyright to the client for whom you are doing the writing and then they own the content and it has their name on it instead of my name on it. Is that how it works for you too, Tracy? Yes, exactly. In fact, backing up a step, the teacher resource books were also work for hire. The client owns all the copyright to that material. My name was on the inside of the book, but not on the outside. And then the ghostwriting, yes, I don't think my name is anywhere on there. Probably not even in the acknowledgements or anywhere, I'm guessing. I I don't think so. (laughs) You are truly a ghost. You are invisible Mm -hmm. as the writer. But uh, let me tell you, I don't know about you, Tracy, but it pays the bills. Some of my ghostwriting gigs are my best, most reliable income year after year. Well, mine are not that consistent. I actually made more money writing teacher resource books. I'm still rebuilding my income after that shift. And another thing that you said that you have done is you've been writing some guest blog posts. Do you go to the blogger and ask if you can write a guest post for them or did they come to you or is it a little bit of both? So far, I haven't been brave enough to go ask anybody. I've been fortunate that some things have come to me. A couple of others have also come my way where there's been an opportunity to submit a sample blog post or a guest blog post. And so I've done just a few here and there. I don't do any on a regular basis right now. My most regular assignment, aside from educational publishers, is writing the Bible study lessons on assignment. You have written some quarterly adult Bible study lessons for an international Christian organization for the past couple of years. The reason I enjoy it so much is because it's exactly like what I was doing for the educational publishers. As far as everything I learned, writing for educational publishers prepared me very well for this particular organization's format and the way that they do things. How I got into doing that was through an editor who was working for that organization. And even though she was not in that department, she was nice enough to pass along my resume because she knew the kind of work that I was doing and we thought that it might be a good fit. As a freelance writer doing this whole variety of different types of projects that are, in your case, very closely related, are you able to earn a steady income or does the income fluctuate month to month and How do you prepare for that fluctuation, like knowing it might be high one month and next to nothing the next month? It does fluctuate a lot. The best way that I prepare for it is simply that I am fortunate that it's a second income. We have another income in the household that's a steady income. The other way that I can address that issue if I choose to is simply to accept more assignments. I choose what I accept based on my schedule and outside family obligations. 
I've heard of people who might work pretty close to full time doing these things, but they're out there hustling, literally. That's the word that they use. I, well, I don't know if that's the word they use, but we've heard that word used even in writing. You have to get out there and you have to be looking for things and you have to be willing to take what comes your way. And then you can increase the income that way. For somebody who's listening that is thinking about getting into this freelancing type of a career, what suggestions might you have for them about how to go about developing contacts in the niches or the industries or the areas in which you would most like to write and become known as kind of the go-to expert in that particular field? Well, I feel like what I did from the very beginning has worked well for me. And that was to research the market and to know the needs, the holes, what editors were looking for. That very first proposal that I sent out, I had already looked at that publisher's materials. And so in my letter, I was able to say, I think my format fits yours. And it did. The other thing I do have done even before I've had to, to shift is I was always looking at educational publishers' websites because I was interested in it and looking to see who might be looking for writers and making contacts with people. One of the editors that I've worked with, she first contacted me. I didn't know her, but she knew somebody that I knew. So she got my name from an editor I've been working with, and she called me. We worked together on that textbook project, and she has since taken me with her to every house she has gone. So then I meet other editors through her, other projects through her. She's recently retired and we're still in touch through email and because we've followed each other's careers, it's another business type friendship that we've developed. You can really never underestimate the power of word of mouth marketing, can you? No, and understanding the editors move from one house to another and kind of keeping mm -hmm. an eye on what's going on in the areas that you're interested in or whoever you've gotten in touch with and kind of understanding what's going on in that field. Well, what are some of the things that you have learned as a freelancer, specifically in terms of the needs and the expectations of the people who hire you? Follow guidelines. That's really important. And editors are people too. I once I didn't get the assignment this way, but it certainly opened the door for communication. I received an email from an editor, an inquiry type of email to me. And when I typed back, I typed it on my phone and there was a typo. So I instantly corrected myself and said, oh, sorry about that sassy phone. And she said, oh, I knew what you were talking about. And you were, anyway, it was a chuckle right off the bat. So <laughs> even if you make a mistake, they're just real people out there too. That's the main thing and being timely. I turn things in early and I think the editors I work with have come to, I wouldn't say expect, but they do appreciate it because then they know they've got a couple of days to double check things and make sure it's right before it goes to the next person in their chain and clean copy. Talk about clean copy. What do you mean by that? Do your own proofreading, correct your typos and mistakes and errors to the best of your ability. Even if we don't know all the grammar rules and can't write the book on grammar necessarily, we can certainly double check for typos. I want to reiterate some of the things that you just said, Tracy. The clients for whom I ghostwrite on a weekly basis, and for some of them, I've been writing for them for 10, 15 years now. And they always tell me, if you don't hear from me, assume that I think you're doing a great job. 
It's when you start hearing from me all the time that I think we may have a little bit of adjusting or work to do here. In other words, they view me kind of like the director of content writing, the director of their little one person department for content writing. So I plan the content, I check in with them, I get their input, I get their feedback on the content that I'm planning, and then I write it in their voice. I have them look over it, review it usually, especially if I have some questions or I need their particular expertise on a certain area of the article. I edit it, as Tracy was saying, edit it very carefully, very thoroughly, and then I schedule it and or publish it. My client does not have to worry about a thing because they know it's going to be high quality. It's going to be written in their voice. It's going to be published on time, every time. Every single editor and client who I have worked with since I began freelancing in the mid-1990s has told me that there are three things that they care most about. And number one, and Tracy just said this, they want ready to publish content that they don't have to spend a bunch of time editing or worse, rewriting. Number two, they want high quality content that makes them sound good. You know, they want to look good to the public. And number three, they want that content delivered on or before the deadline. And if you can follow through with those three things, you, my friend, are going to set yourself apart from probably 80% of the other freelance writers out there who a lot of people, let's just say this, have trouble delivering their content on or before deadlines. And so many of these publications that we freelance write for have very, very strict deadlines that they followed. And if a piece of content comes in after the deadline, they can't use it or they have to save it for a future publication. And that does not make them very happy. Just to kind of reiterate, again, some of the suggestions that I was taking notes as Tracy was talking, she said, do your research, learn about the market, know the market and let them know when you're pitching them how your format or your style of writing is a good fit for what they're putting out there. Know who is looking for writers and then make contacts with those people. That word of mouth marketing, building a reputation for yourself as a high value writer who always delivers great content on or before the deadline. And then as Tracy said several times, follow their guidelines. They put guidelines out there for a reason. You know, if they're saying, we want you to write a thousand words, or we want you to write a 50,000 word book, don't give them a hundred thousand word book and don't give them a 5,000 word article. Give them exactly what they need. So some of our listeners are possibly wondering, Tracy, how you develop the chops or the confidence to ghostwrite and to just write about such a variety of topics. Part of the foundation that I'm using for approaching any of those contracts that way, it would be the educational background, the combination of experience, experience in the classroom, and then the fact that part of how I got into doing what I'm doing is that Many teachers have to go back and get the master's in order to keep renewing their credential. I wanted to focus on curriculum. So I had a focus that I built my education and my experience on. But aside from that, from some of the other types of things that I've done, and even within the teacher resource books, because not all of them were topics that I chose, even though they're books and they look like books, 
they were right for hire. Some of them were assignments and some of those topics were assigned. But because it was a type of writing that I enjoyed doing, I was willing to jump in and research and, and enjoy doing it that way. So that was one way to get confidence. I like to research. And then another thing that I think has added to my confidence has nothing to do with the field of education. Well, not very much to do with the field of education. Probably 12 years ago, I went to Slovakia for two weeks to teach English. We're talking going to another country. You step off the plane or the bus and nobody is speaking English. And I didn't really know anybody on the team very well either. So that was two weeks out of my comfort zone. I now looking back on it, I feel like if I could do that, I can do anything. Yeah, I like what you're saying about intentionally taking yourself out of your comfort zone and learning, you know, if I can survive this, I could do pretty much anything. I recall one time, oh gosh, it must have been about 2005, 2006, where I signed up to go to an international trade show for booksellers, big old, big old convention with tens of thousands of people at the convention. I went as a journalist. Before I left, I arranged interviews with every author that sounded interesting to me that was having a new book launching. And I went around this trade show and interviewed all these authors, wrote feature articles about them and sold them to a bunch of magazines all across the country, both national magazines as well as local magazines in the areas in which these authors lived. It was kind of a win-win situation, Tracy, because the authors really appreciated the free publicity. The publishers had some really good articles that featured writers who would maybe not otherwise have appeared in their magazines. I think one of them even became a cover story. And then for me, it was just an amazing opportunity to not only meet the authors, but to meet their publishers, to meet their publicists and to meet a lot of media people and make a ton of contacts. And that set me up for years to come to do a lot of freelance writing for a lot of different magazines. And I did it because I was willing to spend the money to get to this convention and to put myself out there way outside my comfort zone and for a week just to interview authors nonstop and to really flex those writing muscles and those publication muscles. So I think we need to reassure our listeners that it doesn't have to be something that major. No, it does not. <laughs> step outside of your comfort zone. Now, 12 years later, for me to step outside of my comfort zone might be as simple as going to this local writing conference in a couple of months. And because we won't have very many appointment slots available, so I'm going to have to step out of my comfort zone and chat with people on the sidewalk or mm -hmm. at lunch or something like that. I think for many writers, that's where it starts, is just being willing to have those conversations. I agree. And you know what? For so many writers, because many of us are introverts, that's a hard thing to do is to, first of all, go to a writer's conference in the first place. It's a pretty scary thing if you've never been to one before, or even if you have been to one before, it's still kind of a scary thing. And to put yourself out there and just 
boldly walk up to another writer and introduce yourself and start up a conversation with them and ask them questions, ask them, you know, what type of writing they do and how they got interested in writing. And I think when you show an interest in other people, and maybe this comes from my journalistic roots, and I bet Tracy, for you with your teaching roots, it comes as well, where you're interested in finding out what makes other people tick and in getting to know them and asking them questions. Yes, yes. For me, it would be how do people learn and what do they do with that information? And and I also have an interest in a wide variety of topics. You can find something that you like about an assignment, even if the topic mm-hmm. isn't your choice, or if, if the type of work isn't your choice, you can still find something that you like about the assignment by bringing some part of yourself to it. Do you have any other tips that you would like to offer our listener for writers who are thinking about exploring freelance writing gigs? I think just the idea of, and you've said this also, just reaching out to people and it might be email, it might be casually, or it might be at a writing conference, researching and staying up on whatever that little area of writing is that you're doing and being open to trying something new. One of the things that I do myself and that I always recommend that other people try is to take one minute each workday, so that's five minutes a week, one minute each day of the of the work week and contact one person with whom you would like to forge a relationship or in the case of what we're talking about today it might be one other writer with whom you can connect it might be an editor who works for a publisher that you're interested in writing for ask them how you can serve their audience not how they can serve you but how you can serve their audience. I think you're much more likely to hear back from that person when you ask the question in that way. How can I serve you? How can I help you? What is a need that I can help fulfill for you? Or in the case of what you're saying, Tracy, you research this. If you're going to a company, for example, you research them ahead of time and you find out what their needs are. And then when you come to them with your pitch, you're like, here's how I can serve you. And you give them some specifics. Tracy, if we would like to connect with you online to learn more about the freelance writing that you do and possibly hire you to do some work for us, where would we best connect with you? You can connect with me through the website, tracyheskett.com. And through that website, there's an email address. I am also on Facebook, just under my name, Tracy Heskett. And I do really enjoy interacting with people and commenting on something that comes through. So I'm happy to chat with people. Thank you, Tracy. I so much appreciate you taking the time today to be my guest and to share your years of expertise with my listener. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And it's been great fun to talk about writing. We always love that. Yeah, we can never stop talking about writing. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You'll find more resources in the show notes at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast. Also in the show notes, there's a link you can click to subscribe to the podcast and I will email you a notification to every episode. When you subscribe, I'll also email you a bonus gift, my quick start guide called Essential Resources for Running a Writing Business. You can also listen to the show via your favorite podcasting app, Just open your app and key in The Professional Writer. 
When the show pops up in your app, save it to your favorites so you don't miss an episode. Or you can simply tell your smart speaker, play the Professional Writer Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend. Talk with you again next time.